Hello, everyone. You're listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about the world of writing and publishing. I'm Valerie Koo, and I'm your co-host, and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. We're all here to cheer you on. Regular listeners will know that I usually co-host this podcast every week with my partner in crime, Alison Tate author of The Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery. That's her latest book. She's got many other books. Alison is off doing authory things in this in-between episode, uh, and I thought I would bring this story session to you. If you're not familiar with the story sessions, it's where we read, or the author reads, or somebody fabulously famous reads, the first chapter of a book that we recommend. And that's so you can sample it while you're sorting out the pantry, or waiting in the queue, or taking your cat to the beach. <laughs> If you're not comfortable standing in the bookshop reading the first chapter of the book to decide whether you'll like it or not, we've brought the bookshop to you. This week, I've chosen The Cartographer's Secret by Tia Cooper. Now, I have to admit, I'm a bit of a sucker for books set in Australia's past, and I just love the word cartographer as well. (laughs) I love to hear all of those familiar place names and read what they were like 100 years ago. In The Cartographer's Secret, Tia Cooper takes us into the farms and bushland of the Hunter Valley. In 1911, young Letty arrives at her great aunt's house to try and heal a family rift, while back in 1880, Evie Ludgrove searches for clues for what happened to famous explorer Ludwig Leichhardt. Like in her other books, Tia uses a masterful blend of fact and fiction to weave these two stories together. I just love the descriptions of the Australian landscape, as well as following these feisty women as they try to unravel family mysteries and make their own way in a restrictive society. So here's the blurb from the book. A young woman's quest to heal a family rift entangles her in one of Australia's greatest historical puzzles when an intricately illustrated map offers a clue to the fate of a long-lost girl, a mesmerising historical mystery set in the Hunter Valley from best-selling author Tia Cooper for readers of Natasha Lester and Kate Morton. 1880, The Hunter Valley. Evie Ludgrove loves to map the landscape around her home, hardly surprising since she grew up in the shadow of her father's obsession with the great Australian explorer, Dr Ludwig Leichhardt. So when an advertisement appears in the Bulletin magazine offering a £1,000 reward for proof of where Leichhardt met his fate, Evie is determined to figure it out. After all, there are clues in her father's papers and in the archives of the Royal Geographical Society. But when Evie sets out to prove her theory, she vanishes without a trace, leaving behind a mystery that taints everyone's lives for 30 years. 1911, when Letitia Rawlings arrives at the family estate in her Model T Ford, her purpose is to inform her great-aunt Olivia of a bereavement. But Letitia is also escaping her own problems, her brother's sudden death, her mother's scheming, and her own dissatisfaction with the life planned out for her. So when Letitia discovers a beautifully illustrated map that might hold a clue to the fate of her missing aunt, Evie Ludgrove, her curiosity is aroused and she sets out to discover the truth of Evie's disappearance. But all is not as it seems at Yellow Rock Estate and as events unfold, Letitia begins to realise that solving the mystery of her family's past could offer as much peril as redemption. 
I already know that fans of Tia Cooper are going to love this. If you haven't read any of Tia's historical fiction, this is a great introduction and you are totally going to be hooked. So here is the first chapter, well the prologue and the first chapter, of The Cartographer's Secret by Tia Cooper. Prologue, Sydney, Australia, 1911. Ladies, ladies, your attention please. It is imperative that we take advantage of this opportunity. An air of despair laced Mrs Booth's voice. Miss Fletcher is a very busy woman. Her studio portraits are in high demand. We are very lucky to have her here today. The hands on the wall clock ticked their agonising way to two. By the time the women were herded into place, it would be well past the hour Letitia Rawlings promised to be standing on the corner of George Street. The boat race started at three and she had to be aboard before the starter's gun. Precious minutes lapsed while Miss Fletcher arranged every single member of the women's club, seating Mrs Booth in the centre, adjusting drapes, worrying about height, the set of elbows and the ability to remain silent and still. When she had accomplished those major feats, she spent more valuable moments measuring the intensity of the light while a further argument ensued about who should sit next to whom. Patience worn to a frazzle, Letty turned to Mrs Booth and hissed, I really must leave. I have a prior commitment. You cannot. Mrs Booth clamped her hand firmly on Letty's arm and held her steady, fixed her eyes on the camera and nodded. Continue, Miss Fletcher. We are ready. A further eternity passed until finally Letty managed to offer her farewells and escape. She scanned the busy street searching for Thorne's pride and joy, his motor. The shiny green custom-built Model T Ford with its distinctive khaki roof was nowhere to be seen. There was no sign of her brother in Pitt Street either, which was hardly unexpected. If he'd waited, he'd have missed the pre-start checks. Thorne always won the sprint and she usually made a fine showing in the ladies' steering race, but she'd promised to attend the luncheon at the women's club. There had been several of her cohort from the ladies' debating society present and she hadn't caught up with them since university days. Now she wished she'd refused the invitation. Clamping her hat over her unruly curls and dodging the crowds, she bolted down the hill towards the quay. The start line was just beyond Fort Macquarie Tram Depot. It couldn't take more than 15 minutes. If she hurried, she might have time to slip into her well-worn seat at the back of the boat before the race began. The first glimmer of the harbour appeared between the buildings surrounding the quay. Seven minutes until the gun. Even if she wasn't aboard, she'd be there to cheer Thorn to the finish. Tucking her bag under her arm, she lifted her skirts and ran. The ground shuddered. A deafening explosion ricocheted from the buildings, thundered through her body and shook her to her core. And the sky lit up, an obscene ball of flame and smoke shot into the windless air. Jagged timber shards knifed towards the sky. Flames crackled and her ears rang, filling her chest with a strange, heavy thump. A limp puppet body arced through the billowing clouds, all-encompassing silence. No sound, no words, just a horrendous earth-stopping dread as the dancing blaze and floating debris mesmerised the crowd of onlookers. And there in the benign waves lapping the small stretch of sand, a boater, not a mark on it, the blue hair ribbon he'd pinched from her dresser that morning still pristine. The little gaping hollow in her stomach sliced its way to her heart and Letty knew her beloved brother, Thorne Ludgrove Rawlings, was no more. Chapter 1. Sydney, 1911. 
Letty lay on her bed, eyes focused on the ceiling rose, waiting for her breathing to settle and the sweat to dry on her skin. She knew, down to the last second, how long it would take to rid her of the flickering images. No matter what the papers described, no matter what the eyewitness reports and the scientific evidence suggested, the result was conclusive. A careless cigarette and her brother was no more. She reached for her sketchbook and flicked through the pages to the last drawing she'd made, Thorn at the stern of the boat, his boater at a rakish angle and his smile blazing in competition with the noonday sun. If only she'd done as she promised and hadn't agreed to the ridiculous photograph to commemorate the insignificant achievements of the women's club. Perhaps if she'd made it to the wharf in time, Thorn wouldn't have lit the cigarette. She could imagine his impatience. She'd berated him hundreds of times for smoking in the boat. They both knew the dangers of a naked flame with the engine primed. They'd dreamt of shared adventures and exploration, made so many plans. The largest of them sat mocking her in the old stables behind the row of terraces on Macquarie Street. Their future, their escape. And now she couldn't bring herself to lift the dust sheets covering the Model T Ford. She might as well lie buried beneath them. Better still, buried with Thorn beneath the open-armed angel in Waverley Cemetery. Letitia, I wish to speak to you. She wiped away her tears and rolled off the bed, squinting into the early morning sun rising over the botanic gardens. Donning yesterday's black skirt and blouse, she hurried along the landing in answer to her mother's call. The creaking door echoed her silent groan as she swung it open. Her mouth clamped against the stale air she waited for her eyes to adjust to the gloom. Pillows plumped, bed jacket neatly arranged and breakfast tray balanced across her lap, Mrs. Miriam Rawlings lifted her lorgnette to her eyes and surveyed her daughter from head to toe. I imagined you'd be up and breakfasted. The time for excuses is over. A routine must be established. Something Letty simply hadn't managed to do. Only Thorn made their privileged existence bearable and since his accident she'd done very little other than mope around the house. Even Parter's cherished grandfather clock no longer ticked away the meaningless hours of her existence, its pendulum tied in place, marking the time of her brother's demise. The half-light softened Miriam's features but failed to mask the perpetual shrewdness in her gaze. I've made a decision. She patted the side of the bed, inviting her to sit. Unnerved by the unusual gesture, Letty parked herself on the corner of the bed, hands in lap, feet tucked to one side, seeking to present the picture expected rather than suffer yet another diatribe about her shortcomings. Letitia, Miriam murmured in a soft tone, the tone she used when she despaired her standards would ever be met. You must come to terms with the situation. We can no longer leave matters to chance. Not this again, not the endless discussion about Thorne's inheritance. Have you not written again? I wrote before and after the funeral, and, as expected, she hasn't deigned to respond. Why would I write again? A very good question, really. To the best of her knowledge, the ridiculous silence between the Ludgroves and the Maynards had been maintained for nigh on thirty years. Letty examined the cuff of her blouse. To ensure Great Aunt Olivia received your letter and knows of Thorn's passing. Great-aunt Olivia Maynard, the sole orchestrator of the estrangement between the Ludgrove and Maynard families. I've procrastinated for too long. Miriam tapped her lorgnette against her teeth. There's nothing for it. I shall have to make the journey. 
Letitia squirmed under her gaze. Shall I come with you? I'll take Connors, drive down and spend the night in Wollumbai. I believe there's a tolerable hotel there. She picked up her journal and leafed through the pages, letting out a series of sighs and tuts and indulging in a great deal of head shaking. You have so many engagements. Letty's spine gave an involuntary twitch. An ever-increasing pile of invitations lay unanswered, and now, after a six-month reprieve, Miriam had decided the time had come to crank up the hunt for a husband rigmarole and expected her to flutter and fawn and make sheep's eyes at every one of the distinguished gentlemen Miriam paraded in front of her. She had some ridiculous notion that Letty was the best catch in Sydney, which at 25 was so far from the truth as to be laughable, never mind the fact she wasn't the slightest bit interested in matrimony. She enjoyed male companionship, liked nothing better than to tinker with the engine of the motor car or discuss the benefits of motor spirit over electric, but she hated the societal demands Miriam forced upon her, missed her brother like an amputated limb and was seriously suspicious of the state of matrimony. Most men were looking for a servant and a bedfellow. She craved the type of companionship she and Thorne had shared, but there were few among the upper classes of Sydney who understood the workings of a Model T Ford or the delights of motorboat racing. She refused to marry, pander to some man's quirks and whims. There had to be more to life. The string of gentlemen callers, conjured like rabbits from a magician's hat, had reappeared in the last few weeks, and Letty wanted none of it. She intended to manage her own affairs. She leapt to her feet and pulled back the heavy brocade curtains with a deal more force than intended. Letty, don't, please don't. The use of her pet name brought her to a standstill. Parter was the only one who called her Letty, Parter and Thorn. We must put this behind us and move on, no matter how painful it might be. Too much time has passed. Moisture leaked from Miriam's eyes, tracking the fine lines she tried so hard to mask. Letty had never seen Miriam truly cry, not when Grandfather died, not when the Depression had stripped the family of many of their assets, not even when Letty had broken the dreadful news of Thorne's accident. It was something Miriam simply didn't tolerate. An unexpected rush of compassion took Letty by surprise. Miriam never offered to show her any warmth or tenderness, never had. Thorne was the sun around which every member of the family revolved. She couldn't remember a time when it had been otherwise. You must attend to these invitations. Miriam tightened the matrimonial net. And in that moment, Letty saw her escape. Why don't I go and break the news to great aunt Olivia? You? Why, why ever not? It would save you the trip. Alone? You can't go alone. You said yourself you would go. Miriam picked up the hand mirror from her bedside table and peered into it, stretching the skin of her cheeks. I'm not at my best. The last months have taken their toll. The very reason I should go, Letty interrupted, hopefully alone. I believe the road once out of Sydney is quite rough. It may aggravate your rheumatic fever. And what about these? Miriam indicated the list of engagements in her journal. Surely they can wait, be postponed, a week at most. What difference would it make? You'll have to be careful. Olivia is a difficult character. She's got a tongue like acid and a mind to match. Very fixed ideas. Take Connors. Letty had no intention of taking Connors. 
mother's lugubrious part-time chauffeur and factotum, but leaving Sydney was an enticing option and one Thorne would thoroughly approve. He'd taught her to drive. One day you'll thank me for this, he'd said as she'd crunched the gears and stalled for the umpteenth time on the steep hills around Sydney. A lady should never rely on a man to see her out of trouble. Spoken with a wry grin after another of his spectacular failures to arrive at the appointed hour. On that occasion, she'd ended up walking home alone, a journey she thoroughly enjoyed, though never admitted, and now would never have the opportunity. I'll take Thorne's motor, drive myself. You can't manage without Connors, not while Parter's so busy. Oh no, I don't believe. It's the obvious solution, and I've long since attained my majority, so there is nothing inappropriate in travelling alone. And very little Miriam could do to prevent her. Her own bank account contained a very tidy sum from her commissions. After Thorne approached the editor of the Bulletin, they'd published several of her drawings, albeit under a pseudonym. Fortunately, neither Miriam nor Parter had discovered Raw Edge was in fact Miss Letitia Rawlings. Tell me all I need to know about Great Aunt Olivia. Perhaps it is a solution. Your commitments could be rescheduled. Miriam pulled herself a little higher up the pillows. There's very little you don't know. Olivia is my mother's sister, your great aunt on the Maynard side, the last of the line. She's always had an unladylike passion for breeding horses and very fixed ideas. Her lips pursed. Although I suspect her passion will have waned, she must be close to seventy. An air of evasiveness hung for a moment. She can be very loose with the truth. Are you sure you're up for it? It will be fraught with difficulties. Letty could barely remember the woman. They'd visited only once, as children after Grandfather had died. A dark old house, the atmosphere thick with unvoiced grievances, Miriam stony-faced. Parter cowed as he towed them back to the carriage he'd hired long before the days of motor cars. Thorne had wrangled himself free and clambered into the branches of a majestic angophora. She swallowed the lump in her throat. Maybe a trip would help her wretched lethargy abate, provide material for some new drawings and articles, clear her mind. The editor of the Bulletin had sent a card only a few days ago requesting an appointment. She hadn't answered, had nothing to offer. Letitia, Miriam patted the counterpane inviting her to sit again. I'll be honest with you. There's more to it than simple manners. Thorne was heir to both properties. You must accept your responsibilities for the family's sake. Miriam's words brought Letty's head up sharply. With Thorne gone, Miriam raised her hands almost in supplication and with a crashing realisation, Letty understood the plan she'd fallen victim to. You want me to ingratiate myself with great Aunt Olivia and ensure that Thorne's inheritance... She couldn't finish the sentence. The horror of the prospect sank slowly into her atrophied brain. Darling, it's for the best. Darling? Since when had she ever been anyone's darling? That spot was reserved for Thorn and Thorn alone. No matter what plan Miriam might be hatching, that he had no intention of moving into the role Thorn had vacated. It's Olivia who by her callous disregard for your grandfather's wishes, has foiled everyone's intentions. You must go and speak to her. Make her see that now Thorn has gone. Miriam dabbed her dry eyes with the soggy scrap of lace. Letitia, you must be the one to inherit, not just for the family, but for yourself. You're no longer a young girl, 
a large endowment will significantly increase your odds on the marriage market. Good God, was she nothing but a prize racehorse? Thorn planned to drive out and see Aunt Olivia. The words, the secret trip Thorn had promised, tripped off her tongue. Miriam's head tilted at an alarming angle and her mouth followed suit while she fished for words. Why would he have wanted to do that? He thought it would be the right thing. Introduce himself to the woman whose estate he may one day inherit. But we don't... We haven't... Spoken for years? Yes, indeed, and that's why Thorne thought it was important. Good manners, polite. He didn't want to appear grasping or rude. And neither did she. Miriam lifted her teacup, handkerchief held to the base to catch the drips, and sipped. Over the rim, her eyes glittered. Unshed tears, more likely the prospect of achieving her aim. A hard, tight smile pulled at the lines around her mouth. We must never appear rude. After the claustrophobic months of mourning, the prospect of an escape beckoned like a welcoming wave, outweighing the horror of Miriam's contrivance. Letty brushed off her skirt. She wouldn't do this for Miriam. She'd do it for Thorn. Do as he'd intended, uncover the secrets of the past and bring an end to the ridiculous family feud. I'll go and get the motor out from the stables and check it over. It'll need an oil change and grease, spare tyres, an extra motor spirit. Fired with a long-forgotten enthusiasm and before she had to listen to any more of Miriam's blathering, Letty fled downstairs and into the stables, ignoring the sudden wrench as she opened the car door and inhaled the familiar scent of Thorne's cologne. She reached beneath the seat and pulled out his matches and packet of cigarettes and lit one. The exhaled cloud of smoke conjured his grinning face, then faded as the spectre of Great Aunt Olivia rose, tinging the air with the stirrings of the long-forgotten past. Oh, family intrigue and maps. I hope you're already excited. In her historical note, Tia Cooper talks about her love of maps and about her own journey of exploration as she set out to uncover some of the mysteries of the early explorers. While the two families of the main story are fictional, many other characters throughout the book are based on real people. When I read books like this, I like to pretend I'm learning a bit of history too, and I invariably do learn a lot. If you're yearning to write your own novel, you could follow the path of Joanna Nell, who has taken several courses with us at the Australian Writers' Centre and has published three books with Hachette, The Great Escape from Woodland's Nursing Home, The Last Voyage of Mrs Henry Parker, and The Single Ladies of Jacaranda Retirement Village. Here's what Joanna has to say. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Here's what Joanna Nell had to say. It almost sounds a little bit melodramatic to say, but the discovering the courses at the Australian Writers really did actually change my life. Through discovering writing, uh, I have 
completely had a new career. I must admit that I feel a much more sort of fulfilled and, and balanced person uh, as a result of that finding a channel for that creativity. The Creative Writing Stage 1 course was exactly the approach that I needed, that sort of nuts and bolts, step-by-step -step approach. One of the things I found the most useful in the course was actually also one of the most terrifying at, at, at the start, which was giving and receiving of critique. It really is a very important way that a writer can improve. The other great aspects of being a member of the Australian Writers' Centre is that uh, that sense of community. Finding people who are like-minded, your people, your tribe. I'm the author of The Single Ladies of Jacaranda Retirement Village, which is my debut novel. And so really it was completely a dream come true. Often meet many people who say that they would like to write a book but don't know where to start or they have a story but they don't have the time to do it. And I think that this is where somewhere like the Australian Writers Centre can really show them the way to do it, and it certainly did for me. And I think I'm you know, living proof of what they can achieve. If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Thanks for listening to Story Sessions of the So You Want to Be a Writer podcast. You'll find more details about the podcast and a wealth of writing resources and courses at writercentre.com.au. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writer Centre. Connect with us on social media at writercentreau on Twitter and Instagram and join our free podcast listener community on Facebook. It's an awesome community. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. Both Alison and I will be back to our regular programming in your next episode. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>